Pioneer Church, we are going to be studying the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And I, I could explain more about what that is, but I'm just going to start preaching because I'm excited. I've never preached in Revelation, and I kind of regret it because after reading the first few verses, I realized that there is something about Revelation that is very special for the church. Um, we're beginning these seven letters, and I feel like there's some things in the first few chapters of Revelation that we need, especially in these times, because the more and more that is exposed in the world, the true church needs to be revealed to the world. And the fact of the matter is, the more that is revealed in the world, I believe the more that is revealed in the church, and you're going to see in the church who stands for God and who stands for building their own self. And a lot of times when you build yourself, you're either going to stand on the principles of God or you're going to stand for what gets you quick growth, fast and easy, and a lot of time that equals compromise. And in the first seven letters of the church, basically God tells the church, here's where you've got it, here's where you've missed it, here's where you've compromised. I believe going forth in 2021, God is going to expose some things and true, the true people of God that really want to see what see a move are going to press into him more than ever before and because of that there is going to come a time where it's going to get harder and harder for the people who don't know God and the people who may think they know God to depend on their systems and their doctrines and their theologies and their ways and what they have depended on so long is going to fail them and they're going to be looking for true power and they're going to find it in the ones that they have called heretical, crazy, and false. I believe that with all my heart. So we're not going to stand on this prideful platform and say, I told you. What we've got to do is get in a humble posture before God and say, God, what more do we have to correct ourselves to walk more in your way? Because no matter how much knowledge we have, for the rest of our lives, we can always be corrected. We can always be humbled. We can always say, what more do you need to teach us? And that's why I feel like we need to start this year off with a series called Dear Church. So as I was praying about today's message, I've got a title that I'm really excited about. If you're taking notes, today's title is this, Coming on the Clouds. Coming on the Clouds. So we're going to pray, and we're going to get in this message. It's 1049. I'll let you go at 3 o'clock. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you so much for all you're doing in this house. I thank you for all you're doing in this nation and in this world. We may not see everything, but we believe that you are a miracle-working God. We know that you never leave us, you never forsake us, so we just thank you for your hand over us, God. And I pray right now that we not hear my words, my thoughts, or my opinions, but we just hear your truth. Speak through me, use me, I am yours, to carry out your will. Lord, we love you, Jesus, it's in your name we pray, everybody said, amen. Week one, coming on the clouds. Y'all excited about this? Woo, I'm excited. Coming on the clouds. 
The Greek word revelation <clears throat> is from this word called apocalypsis. And I'm sure you can guess what apocalypsis in the English is. Apocalypse. And when we hear the term apocalypse, usually we think of this Hollywood version of apocalypse. And usually the term apocalypse is usually what, if you grew up in any sort of old uh, Pentecostal or Baptist or any kind of church, you get the hellfire brimstone version of Revelation, which causes many people to be scared of ever opening the book up. Because when you think of apocalypse, you think of all the end of the days type of movies. You think of the big meteorite coming to the earth and the fire and people burning and, you know, you, you, you think of all the, the disaster. You think of what Hollywood presents as apocalypse. When we think of apocalypse, we don't exactly get excited. And what the church usually does when preaching apocalypse, well, you better get ready because the apocalypse is coming and you're going to burn and we scare, we don't really want to convince people to, of the love of God. We more so want to scare the hell out of them. And it's created this empty relationship with God because no one really knows what apocalypse really is. The word apocalypsis, meaning apocalypse, has absolutely nothing to do with the meaning of, destru of destruction. The Greek word apocalypsis, apocalypse, actually simply means a revealing. And unveiling. The revelation apocalypse simply means a revealing and unveiling. The unveiling or the revealing of a thing. So many look at revelation and see the revealing of destruction, but the true unveiling that the book of Revelation gives us is actually a revealing of Jesus. And if we catch everything else in Revelation but miss Jesus, you miss Revelation. Because sure, there's a lot of things in Revelations about the end. Let, let's, let's just get it out there. God is going to destroy the earth. That's going to happen. Some of us would say right now, thank God. But if you focus on that and miss the entirety of it's about revealing Jesus, you miss the point of the destruction. This is about revealing who Jesus is. And I think we can all agree, not just the world. Let's get off the world. This is not a, this is not a message to evangelize the world. This series is to the church. What is, it, what is this series? Dear Church. This is a revealing of Jesus to the church. And the church more than ever of today needs an unveiling and uncovering of who Jesus is. Because many of the churches, especially I can speak for Savannah, they claim they know Jesus, but looking at how they operate, they don't know the one I know. Y'all see now why we don't video our messages? <laughs> He is not merely a character on paper. He is not a person in the past. He is a living and present reality, and the church needs a revelation of Jesus here on earth now. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. 
This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 1 confuses some because it says, this is a revelation. This is an unveiling of things to show his servants stuff that must soon take place. And that's confusing because this book was written some 2,000 years ago, and it says this stuff is soon going to take place, and every Christian asks the same question. Well, when? It says soon. Does that mean we in it? Is it going to come? Is there a tribulation? Are we in the tribulation? Is there a post-tribulation? Is there a pre-tribulation? Is there a thousand years? Are we in the thousand years? When is it all going to happen? What does this soon thing all mean? When is it going to happen? Well, there's a two-fold meaning. The Greek word for soon is actually this word in taki, T-A-C-H-E-I, and it means this, quickly or suddenly coming to pass. What that means is this. When this stuff John shows us starts, when it starts, it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to be a rapid execution. So God says, John, I need you to uncover and unveil this to the church because when this all happens... It's going to be quick. So I need my church to be ready. Because when it starts, they ain't going to have time to get ready. And while everyone is still stuck on Jesus died for your sins. And most believers got that. I believe Jesus is saying... When are you going to discover the more that I need you to be ready for? Because I told my apostle and disciple John to write down these events. Because when it begins, you ain't going to have time to understand this. So church, dear church, you need to get this. You need to understand this. Because when it begins, you need to be ready. Get ready. In other words, Jesus wanted this revealed so that the church can be postured and positioned. Is it good? So many complain because this book is kind of complicated, this book of Revelation. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I, there's there's going to be a lot to it. This is a long message. I, I need you to stay with me. There's a lot to this, but... Revelation is a little complicated. I want to explain why it's so complicated. Because people complain about that. I've complained about it. I've said many times, I don't want to preach on Revelation because it's just way too complicated. There's so much symbolism. But there's a reason there's so much symbolism. So I want to talk about a little thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 by this guy named, you may have heard of him, the Apostle Paul. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Well, right there, that's like, well, hold on, Paul, what you mean third heaven? 
And if there's a third heaven, that means there must be a first and a second. And the first thing you want to say is, do tell, right? Can you explain that? So this is what he says. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in word, things no human is allowed to tell. So Paul says, I had an experience. I was in the third heaven, and I don't know what the heck it meant. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if it was in my body. I don't know if it was out my body. And I can't really tell you a thing about it. Now, this is Paul who wrote half the New Testament. He was pretty good at writing out everything he had to write out. But when it came to having a vision and experience and heard things about heaven, he couldn't write a thing down about it. He just said, I went to heaven one time. It was an out-of-body experience. Maybe it was an end-time experience. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you I went there, but I can't tell you much about it. In other words, it was so amazing and so magnificent Even Paul, the writer of half the New Testament, could not put it in words. And then, years later, you got this guy named John who was dipped in boiling hot oil, had his skin burned off of him because he preached the gospel of Jesus, yet we worried about getting Facebook taken away. And he is exiled to an island by himself, and he gets a vision, and we complain about the symbolism. Because what he saw, he literally could not put into words. Because when you see things of heaven, it is too magnificent to understand. John did not have a command to explain these things. He had one command, write it down. Because I want my church to what? Be ready. He had a vision. Write it down. And most of the understanding of what he wrote down, you can actually find in the Old Testament. But most people don't understand Revelation because most churches spend the majority of their time in New Testament because they discount the Old Testament, well, most of the keys of understanding New Testament is in the Old Testament. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law of the old. I came to fulfill the law of the old. Perhaps that's why Jesus started his church when there was no such thing as a New Testament concordance. Y'all, y'all follow? It's all right. Kyle, why do you bring that up? Why are you bringing up about all this understanding and all this Old Testament, New Testament? Trying, why are you bringing up the importance of all this? Because I'm about to read Revelation 1, verse 3 that messed me up. Because if you've known me for any period of time, I have said over and over, I don't want to teach in Revelation because it's too complicated. Revelation 1, verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. Many people miss a blessing that is literally written in plain sight. 
Did you know that the Anglican Church literally omits the reading of Revelation in its regular readings for public and personal devotion? Because it's too difficult to understand. When you think about it, when most people think about Revelation, they love the, the, the Bible from Genesis all the way up to Jew, but when it comes to Revelation, it's, we don't want to touch that. It's, it, most people say it's just a dream or it's a vision or it's more so that's just a good book to, to we just getting prepared and it's a cool thing and it's just, no, no. Revelation is just as alive as the rest of the Bible. It is the living word. It is a true testament for us to get prepared. We can't exalt Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the importance of Revelation. It is all true for us today. Revelation is not just a book for charismatics and end-time obsessors. It is a book for anyone who wants to be blessed. And you do not have to understand all of it to be blessed, but the unveiling of it that is your blind eyes being open is what blesses you. It changes the way we live, and that's where the blessing is. I believe, I wrote this down, the letters that we are going to dive into over these weeks is our worldly eyes, our blind eyes will become open to what he wants us to see. There is a blessing of a new way to live that will unlock or unveil great things that this world needs. It is locked up in a revelation of the call of the church and where we are supposed to operate and how we are supposed to operate here on earth as it is in heaven. That's why it says, listen to what it says and obey so y'all ready to dive in verse 4 <clears throat> this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne from Jesus Christ he is the faithful witness to these things the first to rise from the dead the ruler of all the kings of the world all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And there's a lot in that that you probably said, hmm? I know when I read it, I was like, okay, seven churches. One that stood out to me was, what the heck is that sevenfold spirit thing? Because the last I read was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't remember no Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 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 Spirit. So starting out, we see that originally... This was written to seven churches in the province of Asia. It was a Roman province in Asia. And actually, most believe, if you look at the, the, uh, the, 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 the geography and all that kind of thing, it's actually modern-day Turkey. And what he says, he says, This is from God who was and is and is to come. God who was and is and is to come. And some people love to keep God in scriptures locked up in the God who was. Well, these letters are for the past. This scripture is for the past. Those gifts and miracles happen in the past. You ever want to debunk a cessationist that tells you that spiritual gifts aren't for today? Just use that scripture. Well, he was and he is. That those things aren't for today. We're just supposed to worship the history of it. I know it was a sin back then, but times have changed. No, no, no. The God who was and is and is to come. His law was and is and his law will still be. 
His ways were and they are and they will always be. You don't get to change that because you want to make your family member happy about you accepting their sinful lifestyle. You can still love them and not agree with their lifestyle. And America has entered this time where people call themselves lovers of God, but they rip out pages of the Holy Bible because they say he is the God who is, but really they just worship a historical figure. I know. He, he is the God of the past. He is the God of the present. He is the God of the future. His rulership and his ways is not limited to a time. And John makes sure, he says, all you read this, he starts off, he says, it's from God the Father who rules through all times. And then he says, it's from the sevenfold spirit. I'm going to explain that in a minute. He says it's from Jesus Christ, the one who witnesses stuff, the first to rise from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the world. He is the king of kings. He says he is the first. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought that other people rose from the dead. You got like Lazarus. He rose from the dead before Christ rose from the dead. Well, he's not talking about a literal rising from the dead. He's talking about his position to rise from the dead. As soon as Adam fell, Jesus Christ was the plan to redeem mankind. The reason Lazarus rose was because the voice of the one chosen to rise before Lazarus. So he says this whole, this whole book, it comes from the one who was chosen to be first. This whole book is the king, he is the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. It's not he will become king of kings once he comes back. That means if he is the king, that means you have to submit to his ways above your ways. Above your tribe. Above your culture, above your race, above your poverty level, above your economic level, above your family. His, his kingship should rule over what you think you should be loyal to. That is why half the Church of America decided to exalt things that exalted themselves above his kingship. It's not about you being loyal to what you grew up in. When you realize half of what we all grew up in was cursed generations that we're called to redeem. We're not called to be loyal to how the church taught it. Because half the churches that exalt their theology and doctrine don't know how to humble themselves to being continually corrected and postured for a revealing of Jesus Christ. We're going to get in that in a minute. He loved us. He loves us. Freed us from sin. Why? Not to live out 80 to 100 years just to see heaven. He freed us to carry out his will. And we love to say carry out his will, but carrying out his will is not coming and listening to a sermon. What you come and listen here on Saturdays and Sundays is not a sermon to ruffle your feathers and make you feel better. 
What The reason why I don't preach a salvation message is because my role is not to get people saved. That's your job. My role is to equip you as the saints to fulfill your assignments and carry out the will of God. A new believer probably can't get what I'm saying. That's why this house ain't full of new converts. That's why we put a resource out there called a disciple maker for you to go disciple them to be ready for meat while you deliver them the milk. But, we, but no one believes this stuff. No one really exalts him as the king of kings. That's why the Methodist church in February is voting to ordain gay ministers and marry LGBTQ. And there's about to be a church split. Y'all know about this? Just let, let me tell you what it's about to be. The United Methodist Church is about to become a pro-homosexual agenda. And those who divide from it are becoming the new Methodist movement. That's the status of the church. Because we're adopting our ways above his. And we're justifying it. It's one thing to fall into sin and mess up, but to exalt it as right and justify it. Let me tell you, I'm not perfect and neither are you and none of us claim to be a, a straight line. But to justify sin is a completely different thing. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? And this is a revealing of where we're at. The confusing part is this whole sevenfold spirit thing. Now, if you look at the scripture, it is capital S. It is talking about the Holy Spirit. So why is it called sevenfold spirit? Isaiah 11, verse 2. The spirit... <clears throat> Of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. What the revealing of Jesus is talking, the revealing of God is talking about in Revelation, he's talking about the sevenfold characteristics of Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's characteristic. Lordship. Keep that scripture up there if you don't mind, Leah. The spirit of the Lordship. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear. It's talking about the sevenfold characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a characteristics of lordship. So when you're trying to make a decision and you get what we call conviction, that is his lordship trying to tell you to submit to what he wants. From his posture of wisdom. And he is called your helper because he has a characteristic of understanding. We press into the Holy Spirit so that his gifts are manifested because of his might. We have a reverent fear of him because of his ability to produce wisdom and knowledge beyond our understanding. Do y'all see what it's doing? So in other words, John, is this okay? John starts his whole letter out by basically saying this. 
Dear church, this letter is not from me. It's from the Father who rules our past, our present, and future. It's from the Holy Spirit who is our Lord, our understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and reverent fear. And it's from Jesus Christ who is the plan, the king of all of our ways and, and our desires and wants and ruler of everything. He's saying, church, this letter is quite significant. And that God that is giving this letter, watch this, verse 6. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Now, some versions actually say he has made us both kings and priests. Did you know that in the Old Testament, it was forbidden in the government to combine the offices of kings and priests? Let me say that again, because y'all didn't catch it. I didn't either when I first read it. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to combine the offices of kings and priests. What's happening in America right now? Oh no, you, you, we, can't, we can't have religion combined with government. And what are churches saying? Jesus wasn't political. Jesus wasn't political? Do you not remember the time he went into the temple and knocked over the table because he said because he got political about the treasury y'all using my temple to make money for y'all government trust me he was very political in fact the government was on his shoulders you trying to take my 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 kingdom you trying to be the king oh my 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 kingdom's not of this world yeah i'm a king just, just not your kind of king. You trying to tell me that that didn't cause a political divide when they heard that? They didn't like to combine church and government because what they called the government was ecclesia. Because what church means is the governing body. What is America trying to do? Well, our governing body doesn't need to submit to your priest. Because we believe there's all kind of priests. There's your Christian God, and there's our Muslim God, and then there's these witchcraft gods, and there's this God. There's our fraternity and sorority gods. You ever heard of Greek mythology and how every fraternity and sorority is all Greek stuff? Yeah, y'all don't, don't look into that, but study it. How leaders are in all these societies like Freemasonry. Y'all think that's just coincidence? He's writing to the church. He's saying... I've made you kings and priests. I want the church to be both governmental and submitted to my priestly authority. And I'm going to give you, my priests, direct access to me instead of having to go to a temple 
to a priest once a year. This is really beautiful. Do, do y'all see how the church is missing it? See, you're going to read posts and stuff. Even though I know y'all aren't supporting that anymore, but when you read posts this week and you see churches saying Jesus wasn't political, you're going to see what they're, they're blind to. They, there's, there hasn't been a revealing. In the new covenant under the blood of Christ, we have the ability in the image of Jesus to be like him in the sense of both being kings and priests. Priests is that we don't have to have a mediator to go to the Father. We are the mediators. We are the intercessors. We get to go directly to him. Kings, we hold the authority to rule and have dominion as sons and daughters, meaning we don't have to stand back and just hope. What is all the believers that are bowing down to saying, well, we, we're just hoping that God's going to do it. No, no, no. We have a hope in him, but in that hope, we can walk with our head up, not being ashamed of what we believe and what we hold to as kings as we tell storms and sickness where they can go instead of being, in, being redirected off of storms and sicknesses. Well, you just don't care about people because COVID-19 is killing 300,000 this. And as, well, I actually believe that I can tell sickness where it can go. I'm sorry if you don't believe that, but I do. And the 12 that believed that too, they were killed. And I'm willing to go through that process as well. If you want to crucify me for my belief, go ahead and do it. I'll share in that glory with Christ. But I actually believe we can hold that authority. I'm okay with being looked at as foolish to the world. I'm not saying don't use wisdom. If you've got a fever, deal with it. Don't just play it away. Maybe praying will do it. But there's more stuff. I'm not saying don't use wisdom. If, 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 you, if, if you like, you know, coughing up a lung, don't come near me. <laughs> now, having said that, if you get diagnosed with COVID, call me because I am called to lay hands on the sick. I, kings and priests. When is the church going to be revealed that walks in that? Everyone's waiting on a drug to be released. And no one has been, there has not been a church revealed as a whole in this country where the people dying can say, can someone lay hands on me? And I believe that the government, just like the government of the Old Testament, is too scared to have their power taken away because what if the enemy is behind it? Well, no, let me rephrase that. The enemy is behind it, and he knows what power is in the church. And he doesn't want his power taken away from the influence of the government. Because he knows that if he can get a restriction of no one can visit in the hospital, then I can't get into a hospital bed and say, be healed. And they walk up and they go. The revealing. The revealing. So then, in verse 7... He starts out with this description of Jesus' return. I love Revelation. Verse 7. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. 
What's the title of this message? It's coming on the clouds. Serious, dear Jesus. He comes in the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Who? Everyone. Everyone. Even the people who don't see him right now. Even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. Jesus was taken up in a cloud. And God says in Acts 1 that Jesus would return in the same manner. But here's where we've missed it. Did you know that in Hebrews 12, 1 speaks of us as a great cloud of witnesses? He says, you, the church, are a great cloud of witnesses. Verse 7, John says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. What if this is a twofold meaning? That he's coming on the clouds of heaven, but that the revealing of Jesus doesn't have to wait on his physical return, but that the revealing of Jesus should be in the clouds of witnesses known as the church. But he's not being revealed in the church because we're not being a witness to the display of his majesty and kingship because we have crucified his kingship for our opinion and will. But we're going to do our own thing and we're going to marry who we want and we're going to put in leadership who we want and it's about what we stand for and it's about our rights and it's about our opinion and it's about what we've gone through and you don't know what we have been through and Jesus is like but do you remember what I went through and what I stood for and what I died for when is his kingship going to be revealed in the cloud of witnesses known as the church y'all know that song he's coming on the clouds Kings and kingdoms will bow down. I have so much rest in that right now. Because all these kings and kingdoms being revealed in the earth, you worried about it? Because I'm not just having a hope he's going to return in literal clouds. I believe, and you should too, that all the kings and kingdoms of this, this earth they're going to bow down to the revealing of Jesus in a great cloud of witnesses. But if he's going to be revealed in us, we need to be humbled and postured for some change. And we got to be humbled and postured to be corrected. Verse 8, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who was and is, always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. That word Almighty is from the ancient Greek word Pantocrator. It means the one who has his hand on everything. You know what that is? That's God's sovereignty. That word Pantocrator for Almighty is used ten times in the New Testament, nine of which is in Revelation. 
That means in the revealing of Jesus to getting the church prepped for the end time, he says, no matter what you see, my hand's on everything. So take courage. The harvest is ripe. We don't have anything to be worried about. Nothing to fear. And here's where a lot of us get it wrong. Well, his hand's on everything, so we're just going to have to wait. No, 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 no. His hand's on all things, so don't fear as you walk forward. As his people in all things and in the commands and purpose he gave you, no matter how shaky or scary it may get, no matter how trying it may get, even if it means you lose favor on the earth, my hand is on it. Don't, don't walk forward to produce the fruit you think you need. Walk forward because my hand's on you. You just carry out what I ask you to walk into. You're not here to please man. You're here to please me. Verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. John is exiled to this island of Patmos. Patmos is like the Alcatraz of the Roman Empire. It was a prison island. People went there. They were forced into laborers and marble quarries. Patmos was rocky. It was desolate. Ten miles long, six miles wide. You know, it wasn't like a beautiful paradise. There was, it wasn't like palm trees like Florida. It was nothing. And in his exile, in his worst conditions... It didn't silence John. It didn't cause John to retreat. His skin was peeled off because he's burning oil. And here he is writing a letter saying, Church, wake up. And we're cowarding down because of disease is killing people. We're cowarding because of government decisions. We're cowarding because of people coming against the church, what's wrong with us? Because I'll tell you, Jesus is not being revealed in what our responses have looked like. We find the church being silenced because of an exile of our culture. America believes one thing, so we're being exiled. And the church is getting quiet, and we're permitting more and more and more so I say we don't let their exile silence us. We let our voice be heard. John says, they sent me away for preaching, so I'm going to keep preaching. He says, I, I partner in the suffering and the patient endurance for what Jesus calls us. 1 Peter 2, 19-23. God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. If God is pleased when you endure unjust treatment, why are you worried about getting treated unjustly? Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and enduring patiently, God's pleased with you. What you worried about? You don't know how hard it is. I went to Sam's and they had no toilet paper. <laughs> I, I really? Y'all know y'all know y'all know y'all complained about it. 
For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. God is pleased with you when you endure suffering as a result of what you stand for in his name. Doing good, meaning carrying out his will, following him. The world sees it as wrong. God does not so endure it. And in the, the enduring, people will exile you. Perhaps that's why Jesus set us up for all this by saying, are you willing to leave your mother and father and your brothers and your sisters? Are you willing to leave all your belongings? Do you realize he was setting us up for what we're going through right now? That wasn't just, man, that was good preaching, Jesus. You really knew how to get disciples to follow you. No, no. He is setting us up for what we're going through right now. I don't know about you, but I feel so honored to be alive in 2021. Let me tell you why. And this may offend some, but I don't really care. He didn't see fit for the Apostle Paul to be alive in 2021 to deal with this. He didn't see fit for Charles Spurgeon to be alive in 2021. He didn't see fit for Billy Graham to be alive in 2021. He saw fit for Kyle Garrison to go through this. He saw fit for Linda Green to go through this. He saw fit for Ryan Zadonic to go through this. He saw fit for Evan Fife to go through. He saw fit that we were the ones to carry his name and be the cloud for what could be the most trying times of the church. Do you realize how favorable he looks upon you to be the ones to carry his name in this time? What better time to be alive than 2021? And in the enduring and the exile, be patient because God is pleased and that is the remnant. That is the true church. That is the cloud. Verse 10. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. I love John. Skin boiled off of him by himself on the island, and he's worshiping in the spirit, dancing like David's dance. And you know that was a literal and figurative ugly, ugly praise. He's dancing like in the spirit, and he says, Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, Write in a book everything you see. Send it to the seven churches. In the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I want to point out a couple things. John was not asking God for letters to address the church. He was simply worshiping God. Don't worship with an agenda. Simply get lost in worshiping him to where the only way you can be stopped is a loud voice commanding your attention. That's where we've lost it. We have got to get lost in our worship. We've got to get lost in a spirit-filled, ridiculous worship that the world says, what the heck are y'all doing? And then their what the heck doesn't even move us. Only God gets our attention. And we're not there yet, relentless. Because you know what stops our worship? 
we've done three or four songs, and it's about 6.45. But can we be real? Because we got to prune us too. We are not there yet. Because I can tell you, when we're up here and we're singing, there's an earring up here, by the way. We, one of y'all got a little crazy. When we're up here, a guitar string, just kidding. That was last night's anointing. So when we're, when we're up here worshiping, it's not exactly like, let's get into it when everyone else is just like. Or some are like, man, the Lord is, the Lord is so great, I'm just going to. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, I mean, that's just not how I worship. Let me, let me offend you a little bit. Because this word says to dance like David dance. To give a praise like the sound of cymbals and horns. There is a very specific way the Bible says to get. There is not a let's be comfortable in our praise. That's not biblical. And I'm not trying to get you to fake it. I'm not trying to get you to give a false thing. What I'm saying is you, we, have get to get, got to get so lost in our relationship with him that we get to a point where we no longer have any chains on the way we worship him. We've got to get, relentless is nowhere near where we need to be. But I've got to be humble enough to expose it and call it out. So that we can get there. Can you imagine the day where like, we're done with worshiping and it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we don't even know what time it is? And you're like, I can't imagine that. Jewish people do that all the time. And they don't even believe in the Messiah. Muslims pray all day. And you criticize their beliefs. They more devout to their false God than you are to the real one. Let's get real. Let's, let's reveal. You want to reveal him in a 60-minute experience? <laughs> 45 minutes. <laughs> Is that okay? Okay. If it wasn't, I don't care. So he says, I've got these letters to give the seven churches. Well, why seven? There's obviously many more churches at this time. Or seven is the number of completion. Remember, this is the God who was and is and is to come. So this wasn't just a letter specifically just for those seven churches. He says, this is a complete revealing of what I want for my church who was and is and is to come to know, to walk into the complete maturity that I need. So look at, look at verse 12. This is okay. I got a little bit more to go. It's 1130, but... Actually, because of what I just preached, I'm not going to worry about it. No problem. Verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. John hears Jesus' voice, and he turns. Big, loud trumpet sound. Can you imagine John? He's worshiping. He's exiled. He's alone. Amen. He's alone. He hears a voice, and he sees seven gold lampstands. 
Remember how I told you you got to understand Old Testament to get New Testament? Well, back in the Old Testament, I did a whole series about this if you want to listen to it. It's called The Worshiping Church. It's how the temple was set up. The way the temple was built is inside, there was three, there was three places. There was the, the, the courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place. Okay? In the holy place, there was a lampstand. It was a lampstand with seven lamps with candles lit on it. A lampstand. How many? What John saw was how many? Seven. They were standing on their own stands individually. He said, I saw seven gold lampstands. Because in the new covenant, they could stand on their own authority and not have to be connected to just one place. In a lampstand, let me explain that a little bit more. In a lampstand, the light does not come from the lampstand. The light comes from the oil that is burning to make the light more, the stand makes the light more visible from the oil that is feeding the fire that is burning from the wick. So in the, in the holy place you had a priest. And Jesus says, I am that high priest and now I'm going to make you all the priests. Okay? So in the holy place you had this priest and he said, I'm the priests have one job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attend to making sure that the fire is always lit. I'm always going to give it oil so I can make sure that the lampstands are always burning brightly. Okay? It was one lampstand, seven lamps, making sure they're always full of oil so that was burning flames representing the light of God. Here, John sees seven lampstands, each lampstand standing on its own accord. Because in the Old Testament, you had to travel and set up the temple and, and the presence of God was contained to one place called the Ark of the Covenant with one priest that tended to the lampstand that gave light and fire to the seven wicks to burn light. In the New Covenant, Jesus says, I am that high priest, and you are my kings and priests, and you no longer have to depend on one thing or one person to come. You can stand on your own authority as kings and priests because you have direct access to the high priest because you are the temple wherever you go. So churches, you now stand on your own authority. Therefore, there are seven distinct lampstands, not depending to one place. Are y'all understanding this? But this is what's happened in the church. You don't believe that. Maybe not you, but most. Because people like Constantine messed up the church. You want to know how? This model right here? was developed by people like Constantine because the church had power. Healing miracles. Healing sickness. 
casting out demons, teaching. They had their own communities. There was once a time where the Bible says the church had no need of any finances. They sold their possessions. They didn't have any financial needs. They, had, they, li they lived fine. And the government was suffering. So what did the government do? Let's take away their Bibles. Let's write it in a different translation. Let's create this system where all the people have to come and listen to whoever we put in the pulpit. And we're going to call them priests. And we're only going to teach them what they want to hear and we're going to create our own doctrines. And before you know it, we live in a day where people don't know truth because they have, we have departed from understanding what it really means. And we enter in a day where we don't know what it looks like to have no need because we've become dependent on the wrong source, not God, but what do our tax dollars provide? Do y'all see where it shifted? So, it's, and, is this okay? So John says, seven lampstands standing on your own accord. Then look at verse 13. This is going to get more explained right here. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a golden sash across his, his chest. So these seven churches standing on their own authority, on their own ability, they have Jesus standing in the middle. And he's wearing a long robe with a golden sash. The golden sash was something that the high priest wore. Like the high priest that was in the most holy place where the presence of God was. In other words, in the middle of the church, Jesus is our high priest who invites us to approach the throne of God no longer once a year as in the Old Testament tabernacle, but anytime because access is granted. And in the Old Testament, Jesus, the high priest, would have been tending to the seven lamps, making sure what? Fill the oil. Trim the wicks. Caring for the lamps to make sure they burn bright. So John gets this picture of the seven churches in completion. And Jesus is in the middle of them carefully inspecting and caring for the lamps as a priest. And sometimes in order for the church to burn brightly, Jesus says, I've got to make sure that my oil is flowing to you properly. And sometimes I've got to trim the wick of your church to make sure that you are burning as bright as it possibly can. So in other words, church of Savannah, you ain't burning as bright as you need to. And Jesus is standing here and he's like, you need a little bit more oil and you need some pruning. You've been standing for wrong things. So don't be surprised if there's going to be some churches closing doors. 
don't be surprised if there's going to be some denominations falling off the charts. Don't be surprised if you're going to see reverends standing for, standing for things not of God and the people of God pulling away from those reverends. Don't be surprised if you're going to see men and women of God in Congress saying amen and a woman. Because I need to prune them away so that my true church can burn brighter. I need to prune the wick because I'm the priest in the middle of my true church taking care of the lamps so that they can burn bright and light up the darkness. That was the only light in the temple was the seven lamps. You want to know why this country and this region is so dark? Because the churches are not going through the pruning process. The church that truly worships doesn't just give glory and praise, but they say yes to correction and humbly postures itself to submission. I'm going to say it again through this, James 4, 7 through 10. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Now, here it is. This is, the, this is the trimming of the wick. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Because we've read that before, like, well, what does it mean to humble yourselves and clean and you got sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy and sorrow? You've got to realize that what you have aligned with has been worldly and not godly, and I need to prune that so you can burn brighter so that I can be revealed in you as my cloud of witnesses. And if that's not enough, remember, it wasn't just a sash on him. It says he had a long garment. You know what that represented back in the day? People who wore long garments were people who had no more work to do. When Jesus was crucified, what did he say? It is. So the one who has no more work to do stands in the middle of the seven churches who has to carry out the work. He says, my work is finished. Now let me get you burning so bright to carry out all I've done until my father sends me back to redeem what you're supposed to be restoring. God, prune me every day. Humble me every day. Cut away what needs to be cut away. I don't want anyone to see Kyle. I want them to see you revealed in Kyle. I don't, I don't want Relentless to be a place where everyone feels that their lifestyle is accepted. I want them to feel accepted so that it's a safe place to prune their lifestyle. Verse 14, his head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. 
His feet were polished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. His white hair speaks of his endless age, the beginning and the end, timeless, the ancient of days. The fire in his eyes, it talks about looking on with fires of, with fire of penetrating judgment of right and wrong. Because Jesus, standing in the middle of the church, he will see what's wrong and reveal it to the church. And he says, get the plank out of your own eye, because with my eyes of fiery judgment, I have identified what you need to go make right. So take care of your own plank so that you can carry out what I have judged to be improper in your culture and society. Well, God's not called us to judge. Actually, he has. He hasn't called you to judge a man's eternity. But he has caused, caused you to judge what is right and what is wrong, but take care of yourself so that you can properly take care of what he has judged with his fiery eyes. This is Jesus John's talking about. He's standing in the middle of so that we can submit to what he sees, not what we see. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't really care what you think you see is wrong with that. I'm submitting to his eyes because my eyes are often flawed. Because if I followed everything that I saw with my eyes, I, I ain't going to finish that. His feet were like bronze, refined in a furnace. Jesus himself walked through the refiner's fire. His bronze was the strongest metal known to the ancient world. He's stable. He's permanent. Yet we build our foundations on anything else but that stable and permanent foundation that is him. His voice is powerful and mighty and thundering of ocean waves. Do you understand the revealing of Jesus that John is having among the churches? Verse 16. He held seven stars in his right hand. A sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. The two-edged sword out of his mouth. That is the dividing word. The word of God, the sword of the spirit. Every time the word is spoken, it should be a sharp divide. Showing you what is right and what is wrong. That is the pruning of the wick. When he speaks, it shows you what you should come into alignment with and what you should separate yourself with so you can burn brighter to be the revealing of Jesus in the cloud of his witness. He was holding seven stars in his right hand. We're going to deal with that in a minute. And he was like the sun shining in all its glory. Even in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew, we see that his face was shining like the sun. And here in the middle of the church of today, we have to ask the question, are we burning bright enough? Are we the cloud that is being revealed? Or do we need to be pruned and does the wick need to be cut so we can burn brightly with the oil flowing from the anointing of the headship of Christ? What is the vision of this house? To see people come alive in Christ. Christ meaning anointing. That the anointing oil from the headship of Christ would flow through us so that we burn ever so brightly through the ever pruning of the wick of the church. Verse 17. Getting to the end. I hope this has been okay this morning. Y'all are quiet. I hope that's just you're soaking this in. When I saw him, this is the interesting part. 
I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. John was overwhelmed. Now, what's interesting to me is that John walked with Jesus and had a one-on-one, in-person relationship with Jesus for three years. So John knew his voice. John knew who he was. But for some reason, this time, when Jesus spoke, it sounded like the sound of a trumpet. And first, John's first response wasn't, Jesus, what you doing here? His response was, who is that? Because Jesus is so magnificent that his revealing cannot be wrapped up in the first time you met him alone. It was a new unveiling of more of Jesus. But what has the church done? Everyone still talks about how magnificent it was the first time they came to know Jesus in their salvation experience. And I'm going to be so bold to say, if the first time you met him when you got saved is still the most amazing time you had with him, I will challenge you to go deeper in your relationship because there is so much more to be revealed. Because trust me, you didn't see all of him when you were that messed up. He is never ending. And that what, what really grieves my heart for the posture of most of the church. We got to trim that wick of it's just about your salvation. So much more than that. Salvation is a foundation and a door for so much more. It positions you. It, it does define you. It gives you a new identity. But it's for discovering. It's for walking into. It's not the conclusion. And Jesus responds with a touch that's so familiar to John. And it reminds him of who he is. Last two verses of Revelation chapter 1. He says, write down what you've seen. Both the things that, you, that are happening now and the things that will happen that is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Those seven stars, it comes from a Greek word, agalos, means messenger. Some people believe it was seven angels, seven messenger angels. Some people believe it was the seven messengers of the churches. Either way... <clears throat> The right hand, he says, I've got a message to the seven churches for one thing. I want to reveal why you're not burning bright enough. And over these next few weeks with the seven letters of Revelation, we're going to find out how he's going to prune some things in the churches, how he's going to cut some wick. 
He's going to say, you got some things right, but you got, a lot, you got some things wrong. It's not that Jesus or God was necessarily rebuking them. It was, I love you too much to stay in your current posture. I want you, I want myself revealed in my bride. He says, I have you in my right hand. Isaiah 41.10, I close with this. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, I'm your God. I'm strengthening you. I'll help you. I will hold you with my victorious right hand. His right hand is safety and strength. Even in their mess up, where they weren't burning brightly, he said, I'm still holding you in the safety and strength of my right hand. And I want to tell you, the church, there's a lot of things that have to be changed. There's a lot of things that we have to come into agreement with. There's a lot of things that have to be pruned. But I can assure you this. He loves us so much that he says, I've got you right here in my right hand. And all I'm asking you is to humble yourselves and come into agreement so that I can be revealed in my great cloud of witnesses. So, dear church, come alive in me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God some praise?